Welcome. This is the Short Fuse podcast, produced by the Arts Fuse, the online journal of arts commentary and criticism. Our conversations are with artists, writers, musicians, and others whose work reveals our communities through their lens and stirs us to seek change. James Baldwin said that artists are here to disturb the peace. I'm Elizabeth Howard, your host. We engage, we explore, we ask questions. Naledi Masilo was just days away from graduating from the New England Conservatory of Music when we met for a conversation. Is the only African in her class, she is from South Africa, her voice and her music, her performances, are already being noticed. While the intention was to talk about music, I just couldn't resist asking her perspective on the events of the last three years in the United States. And that's where our conversation began. Welcome. Hi, hi, Elizabeth. It's lovely to have you in conversation. Yeah, it's been an interesting time um, to be in America, but also just, you know, in the world. Uh, I have reflected just on the events and reception to the events of the past year, the murders, the the public conversations that have been going on. And, you know, one of the things that I shared, um, so I'm the president of the New England Conservatory Black Student Union, and we'd written an open letter last year saying that, you know, none of these events are new in the black community, in the African-American community, in the African community. Um, myself coming from South Africa, being born just after the apartheid regime um, regime ended, none of these things were, you know, it, it wasn't surprising. It wasn't a new phenomenon of society. It had just been a new surge of consciousness amongst people in society. And that has been something interesting to navigate, um, not only as a a young, like a young South African, but also as a young woman, you know, stepping into my career, stepping into the field that I'm in and being in the institutions that I'm in. Um, being in America has, you know, with the elections happening and all of these events happening, I've really been able to see such a large difference in opinion, such a large difference in thought processes, um, and really trying to understand the minds of how some people come to certain conclusions in such a big country. I've been so grateful, especially in an environment like Boston, where there's people from so many different parts of the world, really getting to learn about other cultures, learning about how other people approach things and think about things. That has been one of the greatest experiences for me. Of course, we cannot think about South Africa without mentioning Nelson Mandela. His influence is still felt throughout the world, but how do you feel it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a very interesting conversation, especially throughout my life, because when I was much younger and, you know, just going into starting school and all of that, South Africa was still in a very... Um, idealist state because you know we have this new freedom and we're a rainbow nation now and we're embracing all these cultures you know you have the first black children in you know white schools first black families moving into white neighborhoods into professions that they weren't able to in the past um but as you know as my journey has gone on and as the years have gone on it's been interesting kind of seeing the country south africa as a whole kind of coming down back into the realities where, you know, yes, we have, we have a very, I, I would say we have quite a good society. 
um, in terms of how people relate to each other and all of that. But when you also look at it, there's still so many people who live in the same conditions, you know, that they lived in back before 1994. So many people who are still holding on to things that they were never able to really express. And being in America has shown me a lot of, you know, what what being a South African has been like. Because for me, I've always been so much inside of everything that's been happening. I haven't really had an opportunity to reflect as much as I have being here where, you know, you had the civil rights movement happening in parallel to what was happening in South Africa and the anti-apartheid movement. Um, and you're seeing some of the consequences and the repercussions of what had happened in the past. You're seeing some of the things that, you know, weren't addressed. Some of the things that are still brewing under the surface are now, you know, starting to come up again. And it's been interesting seeing how people are now responding to that. And what I really, you know, what I love is that because of the times we're in, so many more people are allowed to be part of the conversation and so many minds are allowed to um, reflect and, you know, process on these things that are happening. Whereas like in the past, a lot of the things that happened were, it was the same people making decisions, right? It was mostly old white men making mm -hmm. decisions about everything that was happening. Now you're getting a lot more people of color in the room. You're getting a lot more women in the room, women of color. You're getting a lot more young people, which is so, so, so important. I mean, if you think about South Africa and the anti-apartheid movement, that was, you know, a young, mostly young people leading all of those, you know, efforts. And now that you can have them in these rooms to talk about policy, you can have them in these rooms to talk about these changes you can have them on social media you know having discourse from all these different sides i feel like in the long term that will really have such a different effect um on the societies that we see when i asked a lady about being becoming a musician she talked about home her quest at the conservatory to look inside herself and discover what home felt like through song it reminded me of james baldwin writing in giovanni's room Perhaps home is not a place, but simply an irrevocable condition. So Lesaking in the Crawl is a performance film that I put together. Um, I put it, initially I was putting it together, you know, for my final project, my final recital that we have to put together um, as graduating students. Uh, but it became something so much more the more I the more I dug into, you know, the theme. So Lesakeng speaks about home, right? It speaks about the concept of home and what home has meant to me and how it has evolved over the past few years. Um, when I was initially envisioning it, I remember I was back in South Africa. This was in probably November last year, December last year. And I was just thinking about, you know, what am I going to do for this final project? All the music I make, when I make music, I want it to be impactful. I want it to have meaning. I want it to be about something. I don't just want to put together a few songs that I like and, and you know, sing those and get a mark and, you know, leave the college. I want to actually say something. So I, I thought about, you know, what are some of the themes that have come up over the past, you know, few years? What is, what is something that has really grounded me in my sound, in my study? Um, and home was something that, that really came up because obviously when we first think of home, we think of, you know, a building for me i think of my childhood home that i grew up in i'm just like okay home is is this place that i grew up in and my neighbors and my little brother and my mother um 
But the more that time has gone and just the events for me in my life that have happened, we had to leave our home in quite a tragic way, my childhood home. At some point, I didn't have a physical home. Um, and then moving into another country where I'm like, well, you know, this is not my home, but I'm making it home by the people I meet, by the things that I'm doing, by the lessons that I'm learning. Um, I, I thought it was a really apt time for me to pay tribute to that. Uh, and as I was speaking to my teachers, um, Jason Moran, who's one of my teachers, as well as Nadalka Prescott, they really uh, pushed me to dig deeper into home within myself as well, within my lineage, within my ancestry. So I dug a lot, you know, in Sesotho. So I come from the Sesotho tribe, uh, which is a South African group. And I, I have been studying South African music, South African folk music a lot since I've arrived here. But I was like, this is an opportunity for me to speak to my grandfather, you know, about stories that he remembers from when he was young. This is an opportunity for me to speak to, you know, friends, to speak to leaders in our community and to really begin to listen for what, for me, what, what home sounds like um, and what home feels like through songs. So Lesaking, the meaning of lesaking is a crawl, right? And a crawl is basically a, a homestead which is usually enclosed by a fence. It's got houses around and usually it would be family and extended family staying in these little rondavels. Um, and then in the middle of the crawl is, you know, the cows and all of that, all the animals that the community and the village is taking, um, taking care of. So for me, I was like, you know, Lesaking for me, I'm, I'm celebrating my village. I'm celebrating all the people who have been in my corner. I'm celebrating the fruit that we are building, you know, with, with the whole image of, you know, the cows in the middle of, of the actual crawl. It's like, you know, that is what we are. That is how I've been raised. That is what we are raising. That is the work of our hands. And here, here is my offering, you know, to, to that. So that's what Lesaking was about. And through it, I, kind of just it it's mostly you know it's mostly song but through it it's definitely it's a storyline where i'm speaking about you know this is where i was when i was young and then home became this place and then i did not have home and then now i am home because my people are what home is <laughs> When I watched the film, I thought it must have been because you were homeless at some point. So it that certainly gives one a very different perspective because yeah. you begin by saying, I grew up in a beautiful home and had my dolls and ballet and, you know, everything was lovely. And then something, something went wrong and everything yeah. changed. Yeah. When did you realize that you wanted to be a musician? It never really was a realization for me. It was more something that I came back to. So something that I would describe home. So if I'm to describe just how I grew up, it was, um, you know, I had my mother and my father and my younger brother, who's six years younger than me, for the first like 11 years of my life or 
10, 11 years of my life. My father was very much into music. He was teaching himself guitar and had friends who were musicians. So he'd have like jam sessions in the yard and that type of thing. And I was always the resident singer. <laughs> and I think about it sometimes and I'm like, hmm, they took me quite seriously for being a 10 year old, but I appreciate that a lot. But that was just, <laughs> you know, that was just something that I did. That was just something that that was just there. I don't remember a point of there being like, oh, now lady's the singer. I just remember always if there was an event in, a, in the family, I would be the one to sing. If there was something happening that needed someone to sing, it would always be, oh, now lady's going to do it, right? Since I was a young child. Then as I grew older and I started, you know, thinking about, oh, what's, you know, what's my career going to be? What am I going to do? Um, I remember, so there, there are kind of a few points for me that are quite poignant in my memory. I remember, I think it was maybe when I was 12, 13, 7th, 8th grade. Um, I, I was like, okay, I told my mom I want to become, you know, I want to become a singer and an actress. And it was kind of like, okay, so that's cute. But how about we find, you know, something that, you know, that that's a profession that will, you know, have you know, because being a singer, it, it's difficult, right, to imagine what that's going to look like. And so I remember being like, okay, no, that's fine. I'm going to study film and television production because that sounds fancy. And maybe I'll get a job. At the time, I thought it was quite an easy thing to go study film and television production, then become a big shot movie director. So that was what I had said. But in my mind, I was like, I'm just studying that, but I'm going to go and become a singer and become an actress, right? Um, and then as time went on at school, I became really involved in doing Model UN, really involved in doing youth policy. I was one of the founding members of the South African Institute of International Affairs Youth Policy Committee. And so when it came time to graduate, everybody around me and, you know, my mom as well, it, it just made sense for me to go into international relations or international law, something along those lines. And while I was in Cape Town, my passion for music and for jazz, jazz had always been there, but like actually, you know, the tangible idea of studying it and learning to improvise and learning the art for what it is really, really grew because of the people I was around and the things that I was doing. And so I decided, you know, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'll finish this degree to make my mother happy, but I, I definitely want to go and become a musician. If we look at the well-known South African musicians, Miriam Makeba and Hugh Masekela, they were political activists. They were not only global musicians and beloved, but they also played a very important role internationally. No, definitely. I mean, you know, that's one of the important things for me as an artist and why I also have, you know, the Dreaming Girls Foundation, which we'll probably talk a little bit about um, mm. as we're going. But for me, I also knew that a lot of a lot of people who weren't musicians, but even musicians would sometimes have a very narrow minded idea of what being a musician is like it would kind of be like, yeah, like I write songs, I practice, I do really cool music stuff, but I don't want to have anything to do with, you know, what's happening politically. I don't I don't want to get involved with the world. It's all a lot. And for me, that mm -hmm. was always mm -hmm. something that I 
and it definitely could be connected to the fact that you know i'm a south african and everything that we do <laughs> has always been you know very politically charged but i've always been like yeah no i there's a lot that i do still have to say from a musician's perspective about everything that's going on in the world whether it's about health whether it's about social welfare there are things that we have to say maybe not in the same way that you know people who have studied those things have said it but as a musician there's so much more that we hear and that we see that a person who spent years in a library reading books cannot really say or see about the world one of the things i notice in africa is that dance and music are connected naturally and yeah. here i think we have dancers and we have choreographers i i notice this the moment you watching you perform. I mean, it, it's just naturally a, a part of you. I think because we're such, a, as you said, a diverse country and we have so many cultural backgrounds and things, it, it just doesn't have that innate sense of movement that African music has. What's interesting for me, um, I'm also an educator, right? And I teach, you know, young people. I mostly work with people high school aged, but I've worked with a lot of younger kids. And I think the disconnection of the arts is not something that um, that happens that is innate, it's something that's taught, right? Because a little kid, like if you put on music for like a little child, they will dance and sing all the time, right? You'll never find a little child just, you know, standing still and just singing. So I feel that what happens in a lot of African music and some like non-Western cultures is that instead of these things being repressed, instead of people repressing your urge to move, your urge to make sound, to create, you know, life in what you're doing, those things are encouraged and therefore it, it, it stays with you like throughout your life because when you're a child, it's encouraged. When you're, you know, a young adult, a teenager, those things are encouraged. Whereas like I found, you know, in a lot more of these, you know, I go to a conservatory, so that's very much like the high art, very serious people. We will wait until the end of the song to clap our hands, or not even the end of the song, the end of all four of the movements to clap our hands. Um, and so I, I found that if you encourage if you encourage people to feel their emotion through the sound, through the music from a young age, by the time they get older, it's going to be something that becomes very innate and rather than repressed within. Because I, I don't I don't believe that, you know, I don't believe that certain people are more likely to be this than other people. I think it's it's taught. It's definitely taught. I absolutely agree. What have you found is different about the instruments in the United States. I mean, drums play such an important part in Africa. When you look at American jazz, a lot of the harmony and the chords come from stringed instruments. You must find that at the conservatory with your fellow students. I wouldn't say that the instrumentation is different. I would say that what is emphasized becomes more different. 
um, in, in my scenario, in this scenario. In South African music, especially, I don't want to speak for the whole continent, but in South African music, like the voice is an extremely, extremely important um, part of, you know, of any band, of any ensemble. In churches, for example, we don't have bands usually, um, unless you go to obviously a more um, contemporary church, but like most churches don't have bands. It's it's choirs, it's people singing, it's people singing with the choirs at, you know, functions that we have our traditional functions. It's it's all about the voice. It's all about what you're singing and it's all about what you can find. I love to joke um, with my choir kids. Uh, it's actually not a joke. It's real. But in church, um, anybody who has anything, right? So like I have this book with me and you know that, okay, now I am going to be the rhythm keeper. Any song that happens, that's going to be me. A person will find a fork somewhere and will start, you know, hitting against whatever they can find. It's always about what we have and about what we can do with what we have. And you always have your voice with you. So that's that becomes a really important factor. Whereas I found like here in this space and even in institutionalized jazz as i like to call it which is what i think we learn more of in um conservatory or institutions the voice becomes more of like a oh we'll sprinkle some voice in sometimes or like oh it's not important you know to to have a voice so it's not important for me to learn how to sing any student that i teach whether they're a singer or not I make sure that they sing because singing connects you to yourself firstly, but it also connects you even better to any other instrument you play. So it's really important for, for that to kind of become part of the culture again, uh, which over the years it has definitely been, you know, kind of phased out in some ways. There's some things that you really have to be very conscious of when you are playing our music. You have to be really conscious of the other musicians that you're playing with. You have to be really conscious of, I like to say the vibe of the music, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it mm -hmm. seems very surface level, but it can be really hard when you're a conservatory trained musician, when you've always been taught to learn music from a piece of paper and what the piece of paper says and whatever the paper says is what it's going to sound like. It can be hard for you then for someone to step in and say, okay, I'm going to sing everybody's parts and you have to learn them in that way. And we're going to create a sound together. And don't worry if the sound isn't, you know, perfect. The sound is whatever we're hearing each other make and hearing each other create. So I've heard you sing Billie Holiday. Who are some of the other American, some of the pieces of American jazz that you enjoy performing? I mean, jazz is, is really such a beautiful, um, a beautiful genre because it just encompasses so, so many things. But I would say if I'm going back to a very traditional American songbook, one of my favorite singers um, is Sarah Vaughan. I had been studying her a lot throughout my, um, you know, my jazz studies. Nina Simone as well is someone I grew up actually listening to a lot. Um, and going back to the conversation about an artist's being political, she said something where she was like, you know, a duty of the artist is to reflect the times that we're in. And there is nothing, I don't believe there's 
there probably might be, but I don't believe there's a singer that reflects the times better than Nina Simone did. And not just through the words that she sang, but through the quality of her voice and the quality of her performances. I was like, I can, I can watch one song of Nina Simone's and tell you exactly what was happening, you know, on that day at that time. Um, but also lately I've been singing um, and listening to a lot of Mahalia Jackson and a lot of gospel music. I've really fallen in love with um, gospel since being in this space. There's a gospel ensemble at New England Conservatory, which is led by Nadalka Prescott. And I was so grateful to be part of that space because it was interesting in the fact that firstly, NEC obviously doesn't have a lot of black students uh, and therefore doesn't have a lot of elements of black culture. And so when we'd step into that room, there were about maybe eight or nine vocalists um, in that ensemble. And then you'd have a rhythm section and just the way that she taught us, you know, coming from that culture, teaching a bunch of people who have no idea about, you know, about gospel music. Some people have never been in a black church of any kind. Um, it was really interesting seeing how we were able to get, you know, to the same point in the music and really appreciate and love the music. Um, black American music just in general has, is, is so phenomenal, not just because of, you know, the, the vibes that it gives. I love using the word vibes, but <laughs> it, it really encompasses the best of so many different parts of world music culture. Like it's got that African sound, but it also has, you know, that Western harmony, right? It's got, it's got so many things about it that just make it, um, that just make it really just like a melting pot of all the world's cultures and really beautiful. You've started a nonprofit to help young women, dreaming girls. What led you to do this and what do you, what are you hoping to do with this organization? Yeah, so the Dreaming Girls Arts Foundation was founded in 2019. The idea of a young dream, a dreaming girl, right, has been such a close concept to my heart because thinking about all the barriers throughout the lives of many young girls in South Africa, I was like, surely, you know, there, there is a way for us, especially as artists, there is a way for us to find meaningful ways to change these things. I put on the first annual Dreaming Girls Music Conference and it was three days long. And we had girls from Cape Town, we had girls from Johannesburg, we had girls from Lesotho, Zimbabwe, um, between the ages of 13 and 31. And for those three days, I put them, we put them into pods, mentorship pods. And throughout the conference, there would, you know, those pods would reflect with each other on the different sessions. We had different speakers come in. And then on the last day, we had a high tea, which all of the girls throughout the conference were working on a capstone project in which they gave an elevator pitch about what is one project we're gonna put in our community that we believe that a 13 year old girl can do. And now going forward, we're continuing working with them through mentorship um, and are continuing to work on programming that's going to you know, ensure that we're able to give young women musicians the opportunities, the networks, the resources, mentorship to be critically conscious members of society. We want them to be able to say, I can do more than just write a song as an artist. I can sit in the rooms and have conversations. Will the next program be in 2022? 
So the next conference will be in 2022, but before then we're going to, we are currently working on mentorship groups um, and we're going to continue uh, with that sort of programming. Um, we're going to have panels as well. We're gonna have workshops, um, professional development workshops and capacity building workshops. I think the important thing also for us is, you know, just to ensure that we have a sustainable relationship with the girls who come into the foundation, mm -hmm. especially because they're younger. We don't want it to just be like, hey, come and like do this one thing, let us take photos and then goodbye. Um, we really want to be able to help them and see them grow in their careers. Well, now, lady, it's been just such a pleasure talking to you today. And I, I know that we could go on. We'll end our conversation with a South African song. our conversation, please subscribe. You can connect with us through the short fuse podcast at gmail.com. You can support us through Patreon. You can find us on Spotify and on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join us next time when we engage, explore, and ask questions. Heavy.